It's the Book Squad Podcast, a production of Lawrence Public Library and Audio Reader Network. On this edition, our two-book minimum features The Cutting Season by Attica Locke, Bestiary, Poems by Donica Kelly, I Contain Multitudes by Ed Young, and Some of My Best Friends Are Black by Tanner Colby. Later on, we'll be talking about Parable of the Sower by Octavia Butler, as well as other news and updates from the Book Squad. And now it's over to our resident Lawrence Public Librarians and Book Squad gurus, Kate Gramlich and Polly Ken. Hi. Hi. How are you? Good. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. You've been enjoying this weather we're yes, having? Yes, I have. Well, today it's windy, but it's been so nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It so- just occurred to me when making small talk about the weather that that fits into the book that we're going to talk about. It does. It does. Because there's weather. Yeah. That's Is this good. climate change? What's happening? I know, right? I know. I feel conflicted enjoying the 70 degree February because uh, it's nice, but it also means the end of the world probably. I know. Mm-hmm. Also, it means my sour cream legs are out there. Yeah. And I actually killed a mosquito yesterday. <gasps> I just threw my pen down. I shouldn't do that on that. <laughs> you killed a mosquito. Terrible. I don't feel bad about killing it, but I just feel bad that it was there. Mm. Well, so I have a poem to talk about. <laughs> yeah, you're right. That's perfect. That would that would that, that would refute your killing a mosquito. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so this is the time we normally have bookish news, but I think we're going to cut our bookish news a little bit we've short because we we're going to have a lot to talk about. Um, so we're going to, we're going to put that on hold, but we did want to do a little, we wanted to do a little poetry reading for mm-hmm. you because, um, Kate and I went to an event and, um, we saw this poem read by Eric McHenry, who is the Kansas poet laureate, um, right now. And it, both of us were like, oh, we need to read more poetry. We need to read more poetry. Um, and so, and this poem is Tarantulas on the Life Buoy, and it was um, by Thomas Lux, and he just passed away not too long ago. So um, it made me reach out to Eric McHenry and tell him how much I appreciate him sharing this. So I wanted to read this poem for everybody before we get into bookish news. Okay. Uh, For some semi-tropical reason, when the rains fall, relentlessly they fall into swimming pools, Those these otherwise bright and scary arachnids. They can swim a little, but not for long, and they can't climb the ladder out. They usually usually drown, but if you want their favor, if you believe there is justice, a reward for not loving, the death of ugly, and even dangerous, the eel, hog snake, rats, creatures. If you believe these things, then you would leave a life buoy or two in your swimming pool at night, and in the morning you would haul ashore the huddled, hairy survivors and escort them back to the bush and know... Be assured that at least these saved as individuals would not turn up again someday in your hat, drawer, or the tangled underworld of your socks, and that even when your belief in justice merges with your belief in dreams, they may tell others in a sign language four times as subtle and complicated as man's that you are good, that you love them, that you would save them again. That was really wonderful. Don't we, kill a mosquito again. Uh, no, this is about tarantulas, so I'm okay with mosquitoes, okay. I think. Uh, this morning, though, I did save a spider, um, which is good timing. Nice. And I had to chase it around to my apartment. Nice bringing uh, it around. Saying, like, hey, I'm on your side, man. Just cool it and get into this Tupperware container so I can take you outside. Calm down. So. Spiders in the Tupperware. <laughs> Man, well, anyway, I I just love that poem, and I like Thomas Lux a lot, and he really made me start to get back into poetry. So yeah, it was a really it was an unexpected reading, I think, mm-hmm. because Eric McHenry, who sounds just like Jimmy Stewart, oh, he oh does. my God, no, uh, he read that, and we were both just like, dang, I forgot how awesome poetry can be, mm-hmm. and uh, so shout out to him and all those people. Shout out. And you're going to talk about some poetry in, in a hot minute. Okay, mm-hmm. so why don't we get on to two book minimum? Mm-hmm. So, thank you, Polly. You're welcome, Kate. <laughs> uh, so for two book minimum this week uh, or month, this day, I am going to talk about uh, an audiobook I'm listening to and uh, then a poetry, a collection of poems that I'm reading. Um, so the first is an audiobook, um, The Cutting Season by Attica Locke, and it came out in 2012. 
Uh, it's billed as a thriller, and um, it's slow. It's not as kind of heart racing as some of the thrillers that I've been reading. Um, I'm listening to it on audiobook, like I said, and the audiobook is really just killing it. She's the narrator. Um, Quincy Tyler Bernstein is, mm. uh, she's so good. So I think I would like to listen to anything she narrates. But the plot of this one is that uh, Karen Gray is a young mother who manages a historic antebellum plantation in Louisiana. Uh, the plantation's been um, kind of revived so that it is a place for tourism and for schools and for historical lessons and stuff like that. Uh, and her ancestors have always lived on the plantation um, way back, whether they were slaves or eventually hired help, or now she is um, the, the manager. Um, and she's struggling a lot with kind of her love for this place as her home. And then also the obvious tension of, of living on a plantation, which is, mm. um, you know, very emotional. And, uh, so as that is the background, there's a murder that happens that's on the site and, uh, a mystery unfolds that may or may not have to do with the white family that her family, that her own family has always been connected to for generations. Um, and that is, about where I'm at, actually, so I can't really say anything more. But um, it's been really good. The character development is really great. You really get inside of uh, Karen's head. And she's not always that likable, um, which is fine. And uh, the narrator, she's got, like, this scratchy sort of voice that I really like. <laughs> and she reads it so conversationally. And she really nails, like, the different pacing and stuff like that. And she adds different voices for different characters. And so... I'm really enjoying it as a listen. Mm -hmm. uh, and then the next one is the book of poetry. And I'm not usually a poetry person at all. Uh, but this one came out from Grey Wolf Press, which is an indie press that we um, we like a lot. Uh, it is Bestiary, Bestiary, Bestiary <laughs> by Donica Kelly. And it just came out this past year, 2016. Um so I was shelving and I saw this on the shelf and it was the cover that caught my eye. It's, uh, I found out from an unknown artist. Um, the piece is called Adam naming the animals and it's from circa about 1250 or 1260. Uh, AD, I'm assuming. <laughs> and, uh, you mean CE, CE common era, right? Yeah. Cause or else mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. AD assumes a religious intent. Which I clearly don't do. Uh, so, anyway, it looks like this collage, like this sketchy, like sketched collage of animals in these different um, colors, and the font of it, all of it went really well together. And then I opened it up, and um, it's these awesome poems about comparing oneself to an animal. Um, so I'll read the back of the book. It's Donica Kelly's uh, Bestiary is a catalog <laughs> of creatures, both real and imagined. From the whale and ostrich to the centaur and mermaid. Among them, too, are poems of love, self-discovery, and travel, from out west to back east. Lurking in the middle of this powerful and multifaceted collection is a wrenching sequence that wonders just who or what, the re what is the real monster inside of this life of survival and reflection. Um, it questions what it, what it is that makes us human and that makes us whole. And so it's, it's very emotional, but also... Um, whimsical at times, and I've really, really liked it. So, oh, good. what about you, Polly? I'm gonna check that out. Actually, good. I would like to look. It's at, a shorty, so to look at some more poetry. Okay, so I am the books I'm talking about is um, or I contain multitudes, the microbes within us, and a grander view of life. Um, actually. I like to read a lot of nonfiction and mm -hmm. I, I love to read sciencey stuff. So I saw this one and I thought I needed to pick that up. Um, the, the little blurb was uh, for most of human existence, microbes were hidden, visible only through the illnesses they caused. When they finally surfaced in biological studies, they were cast as rogues. Only recently have they immigrated from the neglected fringes of biology to its center. Even today, many people think of microbes as germs to be eradicated, but those that live with us, the microbiome, are invaluable parts of our lives. Um, so this is um, this book came out in 2016, written by Ed Yong. He is a science writer for Atlantic and other periodicals, and he, this is what I this is great science writing to me. This is what I love. I mean, I'm 
not a scientist, but um, nor do I even play one on TV <laughs> or on a podcast. But or on a podcast. But I I, I like science writing a lot, and this was um, really easy to follow. And um, it was funny. Like he has like a little funny sense of humor. There were little bits in there that were funny. And the thing I really like about it is that there was just there were several like what yeah what <laughs> moments you know where I was just like oh and you know my husband was like not amused um, at all because the what moments were always like he, you know he's settling down in bed we're settling down with our books and I had to constantly poke him and be like oh did you my read gosh parts? i did it was like i would be like reading out loud just randomly about this you know squid or a pangolin or you know whatever um because i was just like this is fascinating you know and he you just was like mm, okay, oh, come on that's nice so um anyway i just i thought it was great. A lot of the enjoyment, too, came from Yong, the author. I mean, he, you could just tell that he was totally geeking out on the subject. Um, but he was really good about including, like, conflicting uh, findings and including all the science. So it wasn't just like, hey, guys, microbes are the thing and, like, mm -hmm. including all of these things. I mean, he included stuff, people who were like, yeah, microbes yeah. are like, mm, it's a thing, but, like, don't get super excited oh, yeah. about it. So, um but, the, you know, the takeaway is just that, you know, we're really we're not independent and um, we're really interconnected to everything. And and, you know, microbes are both mutually shaping us and we're actually shaping microbes, mm -hmm. um, especially now that we use a lot of things like antibiotics and, right. you know, antibacterial things or whatever. So um, this is a, a really good read, actually. If, even if you're not a habitual science. Um, is it similar? You've read Mary Roach. Mm, yeah. I Similar love Mary Brooks. Yeah, and this might be a little, a little more heavy on the science mm -hmm. even than Mary Roach, but maybe not. I mean, it's it's good. You would like cool. it. Um, second, I wanted to read um, Some of My Best Friends Are Black, The Strange Story of Integration in America. I've actually wanted to read this for a couple of years now um, when I saw somebody speak at it at the um, Kansas Library Association. Um, another Johnson County Library does a lot of programming around this book. Yeah. And so... Um, uh, this book is about um, – so Tanner Colby, the author, um, was at – I think he said he was at a, a 2008 um, party, um, election party for Barack Obama. And he looks around and he's like, there's no black people here. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, there's uh, – where, where are all the black people? And he just, like, realized I don't have any black friends. Right. Um, like, not – I have acquaintances, but, like, not friends. Um, so he wanted to kind of go on a journey, you know, back through his life to kind of figure out how this happened, um, and how, you know, integration is still sort of shaping how we relate to each other today. So he goes to, um, he goes back to, uh, Vestavia, 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 um, which is a, a white flight town next mm. to Birmingham that he actually went to high school there. So um, he actually has this weird background where the places he's lived in his life also were like major civil rights sort That's of wild. issues happened. So right. he lived like next to Birmingham. Um, he and he lived in um, Louisiana, where like um, I think it was near where Plessy versus Ferguson mm -hmm. um, happened. And then, um, but what should you know be like a real regional interest, I think, is that he also covers um, segregated housing, which was really sort of codified and glorified by J.C. Nichols, mm -hmm. who was a, like, a local Kansas City real estate mogul and pretty much a human garbage fire. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this guy is awful. He is awful. So bad. Um so and the and the thing is is you know because we're here we can just you know we can drive I've been to these places right. like you can drive there right now and see how these decisions made in 1950 um and you know things that were written into like housing covenants in 1950 oh, still... have completely affected you know housing have completely affected how the schools function mm -hmm. um so you know, his conclusion, and I think, you know, he leaves us to draw some of the conclusions, but um, his conclusion is really like surface integration versus, you know, looking at surface integration versus actual integration. And all of this, you know, all of this move to integrate 
has never really netted us actual integration. Like we've even, even places that look like they might be successful and there's some integration going on, like neighborhoods Mm -hmm. that are racially mixed, you know, there people are, they're still not going into each other's homes. You know, they're still not friends in that way. Um, so, and, and, you know, and, and it's not always easy to make it happen. And there are a lot of complicated reasons for why it's happening. Um, and it's, from both ways, you know, people, um, people of color don't necessarily, you know, don't necessarily want to integrate Mm -hmm. for very, very valid, good reasons. And, um, you know, so, so how do we make that happen um, when there's been this breach of trust for so many years? So anyway, he, um, I think it's a great book. I think people who just, this is a great jumping off point for people who want to know more about, um, about it and, and think about it in terms, you know, not just historically, but like, think about it in terms of like, what's happening today? Yeah, that's um, how this, how this thing that happened here it, is still affecting us today. And I, you know, just maybe this is just my view, but a lot of people say, oh, that was then. And like, we're done with that now. And it's no, it, we're not done. Not with that. Yeah. yeah. Um, you can, you can pull up a map of Kansas city and you can see exactly how these like housing decisions happen. Mm -hmm. So anyway, the big news is that Tanner Colby is coming to Lawrence. Um, he will be in Lawrence on April 19th. That's a Wednesday night at seven 30 at Plymouth congregational church. So the library will have more information coming out about that, but, um, He'd be a good person to come see I talk. I just realized that was just when I rescheduled my book club for it, so I'm going to have to re reschedule it. Yes, you are. Because I'm going to want to go to that. So bring there. bring the book club, ladies. Yeah. <laughs> <Good idea. laughs> well, so now it's time for she said she said. Yes, it is. This is going to be a doozy. Yeah. Well. You want to talk is about it? how we're going to talk about it? Okay. So we're talking about. Uh, first parable of the sower by Olivia Butler, which was published in 1993. Octavia Butler. I mean, <laughs> by Octavia Butler um, in 1993, and so we'll get to the blurb about it. We'll tell you what it's about. But um, but I think you know sometimes when we do, she said, she said, right? Like you say your piece, mm-hmm. I say my piece, and we maybe have a little back and forth. But this is going to be more. Back and forth the whole time, kind think, of more interactive. Yeah, I think. I think we got a little more back and forthy stuff happening. So, because I think the the way we came to discuss <laughs> this book, oh, it was a journey, friends. It was a journey to get to this book. So, we, um, you know, when we think about what we want to discuss on the podcast, you know, we, we're taking a look at, at various books, and so um, currently, you you may or may not know this, but you know, 1984 is like sold out. Mm -hmm. You can get a copy of it. You know, it's like on the Amazon bestseller list again. um, It's the holds lists are really high. And we had a a discussion like, hey, this, you know, might be a good time to revisit this. People feel like there's something in the cultural zeitgeist about 1984 and Orwellian, you know, society that, you know, that maybe we should discuss. So, you know, and also neither of us had ever read it. And and there's that part. Um, You know, we had to confront the shame, right, that we didn't read it in high school. Maybe not shame. At the time. A little bit. A little yeah. So, um, so we thought, okay, we discuss it. And then, mm-hmm. and then, and then I'm out in my yard just having a moment. Maybe I was raking some leaves and Kate texted me. And I think I just said, we are not doing this yeah. book. <laughs> she did. And so. I couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Why not? Well, because I have a habit of uh, Googling the author um, mm-hmm. before I read a book, especially if it's like a canonized book, which we can talk about um, and finding out if the author was a, a horrible person. And if they are human garbage, fire. Not, or human garbage <laughs> mm-hmm. fire. And if they are, then I'm just not going to read the book. So um, I was, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, George Orwell. And uh, it turns out he was a bit of a, he was a bit of a garbage fire in my opinion. Yeah. <laughs> well, like maybe, gonna... maybe in anyone's opinion, well, go ahead and t- tell us what you found. Well, uh, he's a homophobic, um, I would just argue misogynistic, anti-Semitic, human garbage fire is mm. more or less what I found. Okay. Uh, and 
the thing that really clinched it was, so I'm reading, um, I usually go straight for like how, he, how the authors treat women mm-hmm. in their, even in their Wikipedia page, <laughs> like <laughs> what their relationships have been and what the sources are and things like that. And the, the sentence that got me was that there was this, um, this friend of, uh, Orwell's whose real name is Eric Blair. Um, and, uh, he, Orwell lost her sympathy after what uh, Wikipedia says through an incident which was at best a clumsy attempt at seduction, which means at worst it was probably date rapey or something Mm. like that. So I read that and I was like, oh, no, this is not going to go well. And then it goes on and on and he um, like very awkwardly uh, an awkward situation arose between him and a friend's wife. and they didn't speak anymore, and so we wonder what he did there. Mm-hmm. And then he's also just kind of, he's a known uh, homophobe, mm-hmm. or as Christopher Hitchens, I think, actually said, he's um, anti-homosexual instead of a homophobe, mm. which I don't know. Okay. Because it's not necessarily any, fear, it's like yeah. a He had a lot of anti, anti, anti-Semitic Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. So, so you know, we... We had that conversation, and and the conversation. Well, and you also, want to have more it, well, and in the, yeah, I'm just gonna in the book. Then I was like, okay, we'll just keep reading a little bit, and uh, then the character in it though goes on this whole rant pretty pretty soon into the book, right um, near the beginning about how he just doesn't like women and doesn't trust women and stuff like mm. that. So I was like, well, so I'm not really able to separate out his politics if his character is also a bit of a garbage fire. So okay. So that led us to have the this conversation about because I'm I also have those feelings. Mm-hmm. I feel like I have them less strongly, perhaps. I have a lot of um, but maybe not. Maybe maybe it's only maybe I don't know. I just I was like, well, I think that there might you know is there still value in reading a book that belongs to the canon, or is there still value in reading a book? that has so much like cultural mm-hmm. so many cultural references that an educated person might want to understand um those cultural references and then that led us to have a larger discussion you know about things like readers advisory um you know what would we tell a reader mm-hmm. as a librarian and you know i would say if you're not enjoying a book don't read it right um because life is too short mm-hmm. for that kind of thing. I mean, if you don't have to read it for class and write a paper on it, yeah. you know, don't. jettison, like get yeah. out of there. So, um, and I don't think I, my thing is not that I would tell a patron, don't read this book. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I would say, okay, well, this is what this book is about, you know, and, um, and I honestly, I don't know, maybe I would change my mind on this, but I don't even, I don't think I would mention what I had read about it unless it was like the patron was also a friend and i knew that yeah. they would want to know about his garbage fieriness right or but, if, if they said you know it's very important to me that you know women are treated well in, uh-huh, in the material like, or something mm-hmm. so yeah, yeah i mean that's that's part of what we do in our job is like have those sort of readers advisory interviews with people and talk to them about the things that they want to get out of the material or things mm-hmm. that they maybe don't want to experience in the material um so you know we because we're anti-censorship, you know, mm-hmm. we definitely want people to read anything that they're interested in reading. Um, but mm-hmm. also, you know, like then related to that, that brought up the discussion about, you know, how things even got in the canon. Mm-hmm. And that's just a larger sort of dis- cultural discussion about, you know, people who've been oppressed and ways in which, you know, marginalized people have not been included in the canon. And you you then read and, you know... You then read an article, right? Yeah, by... Nettie Okorafor, um, mm-hmm. who's a Afrofuturist sci-fi writer who I really love. Um, and she said that the book for our time is not 1984. It's actually Parable of the Sower. Um, let's see. Yeah, so uh, seeing that article... Um, made us change our mind because before before Parable of the Sower we th- we thought about doing Handmaid's Tale. We were up for Handmaid's Tale. Yeah. Yeah. And we still I mean I'll still reread that, but this one said um 
She said, after everything that happened, I'm not reading 1984. I'm not reading Fahrenheit 451. I'm not reading A Handmaid's Tale. I'm reading Parable of the Sower by Octavia Butler. Um, I feel like if we're looking for any answers uh, about where we're going, it's definitely in Octavia's work. Um, and so, and I trust her. I like her a lot. And this is also a book that's been on my to-read to list for a long time. Okay. So so that's how we how we got to there. And I think we had some good discussions about... Like, I mean, we had multiple, like, kind of revisiting about, like, um, you know, still, like, still, is there any, va- like, is there any value in... 1984? Yeah, or or any, you know, any of the books that have made it into the canon. Like, uh-huh. I mean, what would it, I mean, what would it take for us to, you know, have a whole new canon? Like, right. how does that work? I, yeah, I mean, I, I, I feel like we're... We have the kind of sensibility where we're like, we would create our own. Yeah. And I think we need to do more research into who we are applauding and who we are, you know, saying wrote timeless literature. You know, their ideas can't really be timeless if they are, by today's standards, kind of horrible people, I don't think. That's a really good point, that that timelessness. Like, you know, that's the reason why people teach it. It's like, oh, this is, you know, these are these are human issues that we all relate to. And it's like, what humans? White, right? Male humans of a certain class. Mm, I mean, I don't know. Right. Yeah, that's a really good point because I know we talked about, you know, that that the making excuse for well, everyone, everyone at that, everyone in the fifties mm-hmm. thought this way, that's or everyone true. in the nineteen hundred mm-hmm. thought this way, or you know what I mean. But it's not true. For, yeah, it's yeah. not true. First of all, and um, second of all, I mean. Well, we had mentioned earlier when we were discussing this that, you know, when we look at science textbooks and things, we are constantly updating them to reflect our, in theory, we're constantly updating them to reflect, (laughs) you know, current research and the way we've figured out things actually are. And Mm -hmm. I don't think we're doing that with, at a fast enough rate, at least, with our... In literature and the humanities. Yeah. We don't, we're not reevaluating those things. Right. And if we have, if we're teaching and canonizing an author who's clearly you know homophobic and clearly all these other things it's like what culture is that actually reflecting i may have made some english teachers one in particular a little mad (laughs) (laughs) well so so let's let's get into the book so do you want to do you want to read the blurb i'll blurb it blurb yes uh well in us trying to hunt down these books because it was like okay we need to read these (laughs) so i actually borrowed a copy from um an acquaintance of mine renee and thank you renee for letting me borrow this uh it's a very well-loved copy um so this is it says lauren olamina is an empath crippled by the pain of others Cloistered inside of a neighborhood enclave in a U.S. where the distance between the haves and the have-nots has widened into a gaping chasm, she lives a protected life. But one night, violence explodes and the walls of her neighborhood are smashed, annihilating Lauren's family and friends and all she loves and knows. Now, the empath must face the world outside. Leading a tiny band of desperate followers through a thousand miles of hell, she is a prophet bearing nothing but the promises of a new life and a new faith, Earthseed. Dude, my blurb's different. Is your blurb different? My blurb's different. Oh. I have a more updated copy of the book. You do. And I think the thing that I thought was interesting is, um, because this isn't mentioned in yours, but this is why this book is sort of like, I think this is why... um, um, Are we going to have a blurb off? Yeah. (laughs) It's time for a blurb off. (laughs) But I think this is why... I won't read the whole thing, but I think this is why... Like the the it's when unattended environmental and economic crises mm-hmm. lead to social chaos, not even gated communities are safe. So this blurb, yeah, that's totally yeah, this blurb like this updated one thought that it was important to mention, you know, the environmental and economic crises, not just the have and have nots, but sort of like specifically call out. And it really does in the book. Yeah, yeah. it does in the book. So um, that's why I think you know they. This is a book for our times because it's very, it you know, it's about race. It's mm-hmm. about gender. Class. It's about class. Oh, yeah. um, it's about, it's about the environment. Mm-hmm. You know, it's about our, so like, how do we hold our social, you know, structures together? Um, so anyways, we'll get to that. But, um, but the thing about this book was, it was published in 1993, but for me, it was a disconcerting read because, 
it's set in 2024. <laughs> so like when she wrote it, it was like, oh, way, like, way in the, the future. future. Yeah. And well, it seemed way in the future. And now it's like seven years away. Yeah, exactly. So you're like, wait, it's very hold odd. on a minute. Yeah. I mean, 2024 still kind of sounds far away. Because but, of the 20 part of it. Mm, yeah. But yeah. No, it's whoop, right there. It's in a hot minute. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So uh, to me, the book is a little slow to start. Yep. Uh, and and neither one of us are really are often sci-fi readers. I don't think. Nope. But Eli was saying, asking if it's a lot of world building to start out with, and it is world building, but it's also really character building. I think. Mm-hmm. Like Eli's he, Eli's, Eli's another Eli's, librarian that we work with. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Uh, I feel and like he reads a lot of sci-fi. We've referenced him as <laughs> our sci-fi person. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but so it kind of shows. Um, like as as my blurb said, <laughs> was that you know she's living like a protected life, and it's protected compared to a lot. But it's also, mm-hmm. I mean, she's dealing with you know the idea that her family can't go outside of this wall, and she can't you know their houses may be broken into, and yeah. fires may be started at any time, and and it's very dangerous, but relatively protected compared to people outside right that's what i think that was maybe what the slow building part was and we that we didn't jump right into because um and that you know i i sort of felt like like you said you're the event that happened like that's when i sort of got a lot more hooked and maybe started reading Mm -hmm. faster but like i had a hard time sort of tracking because especially at the beginning you know you're like you know something is wrong Uh uh-huh because there's this, it's a, like this facade, like the facade of the real world is still there. The facade of the world that used to be is still there. And there's, you know, some maintenance of that facade in some ways. But but that really everybody is just essentially left to fend for themselves. Yeah, like, like there's not, um, you know, there are police, but they don't police anything no, you know there are laws mm-hmm. right but it doesn't seem like they're regulating anything mm-hmm. um and and there's just not so so like the, you're they're going about their business and things seem a little normal and then something like she'll just drop this like horror bomb in there you know like mm-hmm. this horror this horrible thing and a few sentences later, like that horrible thing and the next chapter this horrible thing where you're just like wait what is it like right who <laughs> yeah. Who? What? Yeah. Like what? And and the thing is, is that I don't. Maybe I for maybe I'm missing exactly what it was, but there was no cataclysmic event that started this apocalypse. It was just the Slowly ongoing. Into this. Yeah, yeah, they just. It was like that. It was just the slow march into making bad climate decisions and selling off things and privatizing things, and you know working towards making everything about a profit mm-hmm. and and what's and, actually happening now but yeah <laughs> <laughs> 2017 um you know i just guess yeah, so it was that maybe that was like the most horrible piece of it is you're just like what like an asteroid didn't hit the yeah, earth exactly. or, no, this is, we just did this slowly right. to ourselves and and like Crap. right <sighs> yeah so, <laughs> yeah um well and she also you know that something is going to happen, like you said, but a lot of time is spent, you know, building up the family that she has and talking about the and and you know from the back of the book that she ends up losing everybody, um, all those people. But uh, so I was really torn between wanting to hear about her family interactions and also being like, okay, well you all are gonna die. I can't. <laughs> this is I'm gonna like set myself up emotionally for tragedy there, but. Yeah. But yeah, cut um, to the business, mm-hmm. you know. But you did also need that time period, though, to establish her as a sharer, which is what she calls oh, yeah. being an empath. Mm-hmm. So that's the thing about this book. You know, it's sci-fi, but it's but not hard. It's sci-fi. no, it's not hard sci-fi, and it's very, it's very genre bending because mm-hmm. it's brings in like historical fiction kinds of things. Um, it has like this magical realism sort of piece where um it, I don't we're not spoiling it you know her mother uh was a drug addict to this particular drug that um 
turned her into an like an empath. Like she feels other people's pain, mm-hmm. physical pain. She feels mm-hmm. other people's physical pain. Um, and she used to bleed with people. Right. Like if someone cut themselves and she saw it until she started her period. I think right. She, yeah. So, so like, it's like this magical sort like of. Like it was kind of. Yeah. So you have this like this, you know, so there's this kind of like. You could see, right. It's like, what the heck happened to the world? But you could see how like, that's like a reality thing, like Mm -hmm. a a horrible reality, but a reality that's happening. Then there's this, this other piece of it where she has this sort of special, you know, sensing ability Mm -hmm. that you're not sure like how that is going to play into things, but you just know like horrible things are happening to people left and right. And, and she's like having to feel all of this horrible stuff mm-hmm. that happens to people. And then there's the whole earth seed piece. So it, there's a, like, it's almost in some ways, well, like, you want to say what that is? like, right. This inspir it's wasn't well, to me, there's this inspirational sort of bent to it as well, because earth seed is the, like the religion that the, she is called to start. Yeah, exactly. You know? It's like not, she's not found. Well, I guess she's sort of founding well, it. Yeah. She's not imagining it. She's, she feels like she feels that she's uncovering the truth yeah. of things. Um, so that was a little that was a, a smidge distracting that, for yeah, me. That me piece too. was a little distracting for me. Um, but but then you said, but that's like her whole quest in the book. And I was like, oh, I know I shouldn't be distracted by it because that's where she's going. But um, I, I guess I mean, I think I was just having trouble integrating the th- the three sort of things yeah. at one time. It doesn't make it a, it doesn't make it less of a book. I mean, no, that's a challenge with for your brain. I think. Yeah. yeah. After the event, the event happened. Um, I was much, like I said, I was much more hooked and I was reading faster, but it, you know, I was having to integrate those things a little bit. Well, and I think actually now that you're saying that, I mean, she's formulating her thoughts on earth seed as we are learning what they are, you know, because it's kind of written as a journal. So it, mm-hmm. maybe it's supposed to be confusing because she's kind of dealing with what is the, what do I even mean here? Like what? So maybe we're learning with her, I guess. Good point. But mm-hmm. at the beginning of each like section, there's a little blurby thing. A, like a quote mm-hmm. from from the Earthseed Books of the Living that she had eventually like compiled, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and the thing that was not necessarily dis- sort of distracting, but the thing that was kind of like a brain bender for me was I had to sit with like this quote and figure out what this means. You know, like you have to sort of dissect this little mini poem thing mm. at the beginning and then jump into, you know, the plot of the book. And so, yeah, your your mind is just on like on several different levels at once. Okay. So ultimate verdict on this book. Do you feel, do you agree with, uh, Nettie Okafor, that this is the book that people should be reading right now if they're looking for whatever they're trying to get out of 1984. Having not read 1984, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe this is why we have to read things don't, we don't want to read. So no, can, you know what, okay. though? I think... <laughs> no, <laughs> no. We were talking about how there was all these cultural references to 1984. Why don't we just start making them to Parable of the Sower? Which is not sour, as I was saying it in my head the entire time. Uh, let's just start making these references instead. They're only cultural references because dudes. You know said what? Them. Yeah. And okay. Oh, and the, like okay. Here's like a super important point that we didn't even make mm-hmm. is that we the main the main character is black, mm-hmm. and the you know her fam the, and the neighbor right the yeah, neighborhood there's... that she lives in is is very is pretty racially mixed. Uh-huh. Um, and they did have to become integrated because they they had themselves they to were, rely on. Yeah, they were. But like, race still like race still existed as a thing yeah, and absolutely. was still a problem. Yeah. So um, we didn't even mention, we that, didn't even part. mention that part. But it's important, I think, that the protagonist. Yeah. You know, has yeah, and this she thing. Meets, she meets a lot of people. I mean, she's the band of people that she ends up traveling with. There's white people, there's black people. And then there's also very, yeah, there's very racially mixed people. There's one young woman who's like Japanese and black and had a Mexican husband. And so her baby is, you know, very mixed. And so that to me is more of a reflection of current time. And that's where I can see it being more argued that it's more of the book of the time than 1984. All right, so I think 
that we have sold people mm-hmm. that people should do. I mean, you could also do Handmaid's Tale. Yeah. Like read Handmaid, them both. Read them both. Read them both. If you haven't read Handmaid's Tale, get up on that. Mm-hmm. Poor favor. But um Ooh, real quick though. What? So uh I'm gonna I started reading the second because this is actually the first of two. There's Parable of the Talents. I'm assuming I'm saying talents right at least. <laughs> uh and in that one, uh the presidential candidate wants to um make America great again. Just gonna drop that right there. So wow. Next section. Okay, we'll get to that one. We'll get to that one next. So we can't always be reading. <laughs> well, this time I actually wasn't. This right time on. I actually have a thing. Okay. All right. What are you up to, Polly? Uh, I am up to the fact that my son is turning 21 tomorrow. Aww. I don't even know what to do about that. No, I don't know. You think you gave him a card? I don't even have some, I don't even know some words to say <laughs> about it. that thing. That's just. We're going to be silent the rest of the podcast. I thought, I mean, I thought this apocalyptic novel was blowing my mind, but this is blowing my mind. Year old son. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so um, I'm going to cry a little bit. Yeah. And then let's talk about... Don't cry on the microphone. (laughs) Okay. So the other thing that I did that is the thing that's at the top of my brain is that I went to go see I Am Not Your Negro last night. And I think... And you Mm -hmm. went to go see it. And I think Mm -hmm. after you say the stuff that you're doing, we should have a little breakdown. A mini she said she said. A mini she said she Mm -hmm. said. Just mini. Mm -hmm. We'll try to mini it. Uh, So what I'm doing uh, is my partner and I have started a music trivia in Lawrence. And it's at Frank's North Star Tavern in North Lawrence. And it's the second Wednesday of each month. And so our next one will be on the 8th. Um, And it is all women themed for Women's Day. And it's going to be exciting. And I like to go because music trivia itself is not really... A thing that I'm good at at all. But I like to watch people know things. Or like <laughs> as they're hearing a song or hearing a question, mm-hmm. I watch their brain be like, oh, yeah, you know, or oh, my God, I haven't heard that song in forever. Or like that was my first CD. I haven't had this piece of knowledge be useful in my brain ever before. So that's what I really like about it. Um, and then also just all women is always good. Yeah, that's a cool, that's a cool observation. Mm-hmm. It's I thought you just went for the beer. Uh, I go for the beer. Okay. And for the other thing. Just mm-hmm. checking. Mm-hmm. Okay. So let's do let's do super quick uh, as if we could do super quick. But mm-hmm. I am not your Negro. We've been talking like, about this nonstop since, well, since I <laughs> since saw 24 it hours because I, I haven't, I, it hasn't even been 24 hours since I've seen it. <clears throat> so, if I could, if it wouldn't have been rude to text during, I don't text during movies. Uh, no. But if I could, I would have. Yeah. And yeah. Because I had so many feels. If I could see through my tears... Yeah, exactly. I, I might have I rage. might have texted yes. Mm-hmm. So tears and rage. So this tears movie is a so documentary. Yeah, <laughs> it'll make You'll you get... cry. It'll make you spit nails. You know? Yes. Uh, so I'm not your Negro, um, which we'd mentioned a couple episodes back, uh, is um, a documentary by a Haitian director, and uh, it's James Baldwin is listed as the writer yeah. i think mm-hmm. because it's all his it's all his words yes and there's an um there's a voiceover by samuel l jackson who to me did not sound like samuel no, l jackson he did a didn't. very mm-hmm. a great job being very somber and um serious <clears throat> uh uh but it's a beautiful it's a beautiful documentary and um i was motivated to watch it after polly sent me the episode of unfriendly black hotties um, an amazing podcast. And I think they, I might have mentioned that like in my our very first podcast, mm-hmm, perhaps, mm-hmm. as my You Can't okay, Always Be mm-hmm. Reading. You did. But but we're going to talk about it again. Yes. Because these ladies, you got to listen to them. Yeah. They set up this documentary really well for me. Um, but so I'm not going to do that mm-hmm. for you. No. <laughs> <laughs> Go listen to them because yeah, exactly. I don't have anything as smart as they, they have to say. Awesome. Um, but <clears throat> yeah, I. What was your initial know. reaction when you came out of the movie? I don't, I can't say, I know I can't say the words. We had a lot of, this is a family show, Yeah, but we, we were very angry and it wasn't, this is the thing. It's not like we were surprised. Mm -mm. Like I don't, nothing that happened. It was, I I loved the construction 
of the documentary, it was all like it was literally all James Baldwin's words, mm-hmm. which are all um, beautiful. And you know, he's like, he's like a prophet. Like he's a he's completely prophetic. Mm-hmm. I don't mean that like necessarily in a religious way. I mean he just. His brain was like one of the most beautiful things that has ever existed. And mm-hmm. then I, that is not hyperbole, just FYI. No, that's it. So, um, but none of the things, I mean, it was not like we learned anything new in terms no. of what, what you know, we're, le- we're learned. Yeah, mm-hmm. we're, we, this is, these are issues we care about that we've read about. We've read a million things about these things. But the, the way that the story was told, the juxtaposition, between you know fit like footage yeah. of Baldwin footage of other historical figures because it's it's he's telling the story what he was trying to write was the book of Medgar Evers um, Malcolm X and Martin Luther King um, and who he was and friends with he was friends with all three of them and they all died you know very close together <clears throat> and he wanted to um, he was trying to write this book to talk about it and so um, but the juxtaposition that the filmmaker Raoul Peck uh-huh. makes between, you know, there's these jump cuts between, you know, Baldwin is talking and then all of a sudden a woman is being slammed against a wall by a police officer. You know, I mean, I literally and like gasped and jumped back, you yeah. know, like that that happened. And current day. Like, yeah, current day. There's footage from Ferguson. And yeah, yeah. I mean, and it wasn't, I mean, I've, I've seen that footage, uh-huh. you know what I mean? Like I, I mean, I hope I'm not becoming inured to it, but you, that happened, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. but seeing it, this juxtaposition, seeing this juxtaposition of, you know, things happening and then um, white culture, mm-hmm. like movies and advertisement and things like, <clears throat> it's just really, the, go ahead. you were saying like the thing that was so touching and so mind-blowing and so depressing was this talking about um, the Western movie. Did you want to say? Oh, um, when it was when the kids were, when the kids realized, you know, he was talking about how when you're, you're born into America, this is the country you owe allegiance to. This is the country you love and that you feel a part of. And then, um, you know, black children, when they become six or seven or eight years old, um, they look into a mirror and realize that they're not reflected anywhere in the culture. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is less true today, you know, than it was when he was writing this, but, um, and he has, there's a section in the movie about heroes. He kind of goes into heroes a little bit and, you know, he says, um, you know, you're watching this movie as a kid and you're rooting for Gary Cooper, Mm -hmm. you know, who's supposed to be the hero of this movie. And he's out there and he's shooting the Indians. And at some point it dawns on you that you are the Indian. You're not, you're not on, you're not Gary Cooper. Uh -uh. (laughs) You're not the people that Gary Cooper was fighting to protect. You're the Indian. Um, That was really powerful. It was, there was one part where he said, it was super powerful to me where he said, you know, like the character of John Wayne, like who who John Wayne represents mm-hmm. as a human, just the swagger and the like, I won't be repressed and I, you know, I will fight for liberty and, mm-hmm. and justice and, you know, and I'll do it in a vigilante way. And that's all cool coming from a yep. white guy. Right. But he, you know, and he asked us to imagine in any scenario that we would be supportive of that. If if John Wayne was not white, mm-hmm. um, and it was just you know you, there were a series of those moments where you had to really, you know, it was just a a powerful way of digesting again the things that you know we might know or or maybe maybe don't maybe know. you don't know mm-hmm. maybe like maybe you hadn't thought that deeply about these things because. It's invisible yeah, to no, you, yeah. right? Because you, you're encouraged not to, really, by right. society. So. Um, so, you know, bottom line, try to figure out how to see this movie. Um, we can't... The The thing is, is it's sort of an art house film at this point. Mm-hmm. It's um, It should be coming out on DVD, hopefully, pretty soon. But um, You so, can go to the... I am not your Negro website, and they do have the showtimes um, mm-hmm. locally. Around. Yeah, yeah. but um, it was pretty. It's I don't go see I movies, no. but 
I want to see it again. I want to see it again. Like a bunch. I would like everybody to see it. <laughs> and I'd like to see it again um, and take notes. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. So, and text. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> In we'll the privacy of my home. And <laughs> okay. So we need to get on to what's oh, happening at LPL or in town. We'll go over that quick. So mark your calendars for March 5th. Um, that's coming up very soon. Julia Alvarez will be at the Lead Center at 7 p.m. Mm-hmm. Do you want to talk about what else? Then on March 8th, which is the same day as Music Trivia, <laughs> <Frank>. <laughs> is the um, International Women's Strike Solidarity. Um, and that's at Watson Park or the Train Park, right? Mm-hmm. In Lawrence uh, from 12 to 5. Um, there's going to be lots of tables, lots of speakers. It's going to be a really incredible event. Um, there's a Girls Rock Lawrence band that's going to be playing there, a band of young kiddos. Uh, so it'll be wonderful. And there's a Facebook event. And again, that's International Women's Strike Solidarity from 12 to 5. Okay. And quick squad goals update. If you're reading along with the book squad, um, I am currently reading my um, diverse romance uh entry so i'm reading um think of england by kj charles which is a historical romance with male leads mm-hmm. which you don't find super often but there's mm-hmm. more and more of them are yeah. being written which yeah. is awesome um and it's it's just really well written kj charles is does is doing this like she sets up a lot of um background and she draws characters and draws places really well in a short amount of words which is it's not what we're good at. Right. No, we do all the words. We do all the words. Mm-hmm. But um, but it's great. So what's yours? Uh, well, we've got to read a... I mean, we get to read a Western. And this is funny, actually, now after all that John Wayne talk. So uh, if anybody knows of a Western that's written by an author of color, please send it to me or else I have to read True Grit. <laughs> <laughs> Which I've heard is a wonderful novel. And I, I'll be Googling Charles Portis to see if he's also a human garbage fire before. Girl, I know that you Oh, my God. Yeah. Hit that Google. If you Google their name and then also homophobe or their name and sexism or something Mm. like that, it's a good way to just get your your info before you start reading. Lord. (laughs) Okay. Well, I think that's it for this month's podcast. And I I almost can't say happy reading, Mm -hmm. but I'm going to say happy reading. Happy reading. That's it for this edition of the Book Squad podcast. For more details on any of the books or events mentioned in this episode, visit reader.ku.edu forward slash book squad podcast. Our fantastic Book Squad librarians are Polly Ken and Kate Gramlich. Our theme music is by Heidi Lynn Gluck. I'm Nick Carswell, and this has been a production of Lawrence Public Library and Audio Reader Network. Mm-hmm.